God is so good. I, I just Don't you just love the fact that you get to serve the living God? What an opportunity that, that we get to encounter and experience not just the power of God, but the love of God. The creator of the heavens and the earth has invited us into this personal, intimate relationship with him. I want to speak to you this morning about the coast is clear. The coast is clear. I, I, like, I like phrases, you, and I'm sure if, if uh, you let your mind wander a little bit, there's always phrases that you use or your parents used. Or uh, My grandmother always said that she liked the phrase that you might wake up dead. You know, you better take care of that business because you might wake up dead. It's like, all right. I didn't understand it then. I, I kind of understand it now. But there are some phrases that we use every single day. A few years ago, I was, I was talking about a new ministry we were going to start. And, and I, I showed my age, but I said, and we're going to get that online pretty soon, thinking that, that everybody would comprehend and understand that Putting it online simply meant it was, a, it was an industrial term, a factory term that it was going to be moving, and everybody else took it like it's going to go on the Internet. So I had to rearrange my thought process on that. But there are a lot of phrases that we use. Let me give you an example. Close, but no cigar. That comes from the 1920s here in the United States. It comes from a, uh, when they were doing carnivals and stuff, and they would try to give them prizes. You try to win prizes, and, and some of the barkers would say, when you didn't do it, they'd say, man, that was close, but no cigar, because you, they gave you cigars if you won. So close, but no cigar. How about get off your high horse? You ever heard somebody say that? Hey, that person needs to get off their high horse. Well, and where that really came from was the, in the 1700s, generals and leaders would, would ride the tallest horses so they would look superior to everybody else. And that's where the term for, came from. That guy needs to get off his high horse. He doesn't need to look superior. He needs a little humility. How about jump the gun? Jump the gun. Man, they're dropping like flies. You ever, you ever heard any of these? Am I the only one? Man, he was so mad, he was foaming at the mouth. Wow. It was, that's, that phrase actually comes from uh, when people were so angry, it, it would look like they were foaming at the mouth like they had rabies, and, and they just connected the two. But it, all of these phrases have a significance, and the term... The coast is clear. How, how many times have you used that? Probably when you were a kid and you were trying to hide and you were trying to get away with something and you looked around the corner and said, oh, the coast is clear, I can take off. It actually comes from the 1500s and it comes from a, from a Spanish phrase that simply meant that when they looked out on the shoreline, there were no moors. They were fighting the moors at the time. And there were no moors on the, on the shore to inhibit them from doing what they wanted to do. 
because they would look out, they, did, they would find no enemies and no obstacles, and they would say, the coast is clear. That you could, you could achieve what you wanted to achieve, that there were no obstacles, there was no opposition, that, that everything that you needed to accomplish was already accomplished. It was clear sailing. See, there's another one. The coast is clear. In, in Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and, and you say, well, you've been talking a lot about the church in Corinth. I love the church in Corinth because they were so wild. I love it when people, uh, especially new Christians and stuff, that just don't have the, they don't speak Christianese. I love that. They don't have the language, and they don't, they don't have the protocol. And I remember serving a communion once, and, and all, everybody, the ushers, were going down and giving out uh, the communion and the, and the wafers. And I was there at the front, and there was a, a guy that had just given his life to the Lord, showed up in, in T-shirt and, or tank top and shorts and flip-flops. And, and uh, I hear this, and I'm, so I open my eyes from praying, and he says, I didn't have breakfast, so I got a whole handful. Is that okay? <laughs> Don't you love that? I find that amazing. It, it, it's, it's great. Here's Paul, and he's talking to the church in Corinth that has gotten so caught up in, 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 in a variety of different experiences in the church that these Judaizing Christians had come along and these other believers had come along and they said you need to to have the grace of God you know and and it's in Christ however you also need to adhere to these rules and you need to adhere to these rules and and eventually people began to say well I'm following Peter well I'm following Paul well I'm following Christ and, and they were dividing the church based on things that they added to the grace of God. And Paul writing to the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, let's look at that, that phrase for a moment. It says, as God's co-workers, Paul has just gone through uh, this this litany of examples of why you shouldn't, uh, uh, that you're free from the law of, of the Old Testament. He says, as God's co-workers, he just said we were ambassadors, we're God's co-workers, we urge you to not receive God's grace in vain. That's a powerful statement. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. In vain. Empty. Hollow. Without meaning. Without purpose. Vanity. Don't allow God's grace to be empty and without purpose in your life. You say, well, how, how can you do that? How can you allow grace to have no effect? 
How can grace, which is so rich and so powerful in every believer's life, because we are saved by grace through faith. Grace is receiving from God that which we did not deserve. We did not deserve salvation, and yet Christ freely gave us salvation. How can we make it empty, hollow, and without effect? Paul is very explicit. Don't add anything to the grace of God. The grace of God is the grace of God is the grace of God. You are saved by grace through faith. You're not saved by grace through faith and your works. You're saved by grace through faith. And here's the, here's the point I, I want to make before we go on any farther. James tells us this. That if he says, if you show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works, because faith alone is dead. Just as the body, as the spirit is dead without the body, so faith without works is dead. You say, but pastor, you just said we are saved by grace alone. And my answer is yes to both. Let me explain. Grace, true grace in your life, comes through faith in Christ. But faith, true faith, will get you to change your life. Will get you to become more like Christ. Will get you to follow the Lord will get you to change your attitude, your actions, your character, your conduct. What James was saying is works by themselves do not enhance the grace of God. We have works in our life. We have attitudes in our life. We have a difference in our life because of the grace of God, not in order to receive the grace of God. If you are doing things in your life to receive the grace of God, you're making it empty and hollow and vain and meaningless in your life. But when you receive the grace of God, which comes through faith, faith is believing without seeing. Faith is works in action when you have faith and you believe in the grace of God it will transform you on the inside that's why Paul said they'll they'll wonder why you don't run with them to the same excess you used to why is that because grace has got a hold of you and grace is transforming you it's not that you're changing yourself in order to receive grace but the grace of God is and an amazing power and ability that will transform the mind and heart of any believer and allow them to fulfill the will of God. Are you with me? Okay, so I'm going to hit the notes here in a minute. Okay, here's the point. Don't try to earn your salvation. I'm going to say that again. Don't try to earn your salvation. And at the same time, 
Don't think that if you have salvation, it's going to allow you to keep doing the same things you've always done. True salvation, the grace of God, will move you, shake you, mold you, transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Grace in us. And it comes through faith. Faith. Belief. Belief in action. Belief can't add to salvation, which is by faith. The doctrines of men that, that we say, oh, well, if we do this plus this. No, we don't do those things because of grace, not in order to receive grace. Everybody get that point? Grace is received by faith. But what does faith do? What is, on the other side of salvation, what does it do? What is, how does it transform us? I believe, Jeremiah 29, here's the Israel in, in going into captivity, and Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Things, you know, plans to prosper you. But wait a minute, we just lost our house and our land and our home and everything else, and now we're going take, being taken captive into this foreign land. And you say, you know, you know what you have planned for us, and it's good? See, just because everything in your life may not seem well, when you're walking in the grace of God, it always turns out well. But here's the key. You have to walk in the grace of God. You have to allow the grace of God to change you. I, lo I love George Mueller. I don't know if, if, you've, uh, if you've ever read anything about him, or taught, uh, but in the early 1800s in Bristol, England, uh, he was a, a young man that was in, in seminary, uh, not seminary, but in university, and and he came home one day and said, Dad, I have great news. And he said, what is it? And he says, I'm going to be a missionary. And his dad said, you'll pay for it on your own. And withdrew all tuition. And from that point on, George Mueller had to live by faith. George Mueller was, and he saw the orphans in in, in Bristol, England, and was so moved and compelled about the orphans that, that were on the streets that he decided to do something on his own. And he started by buying a building, he and his wife, and, and they brought in 30 girls. And it started growing, and it started growing, and it started growing. And you say, well, why did he do that? Because... God had called him to extend grace to others. And through faith, he knew what God had called him to be in spite of what his parents thought, in spite of what others thought. George Mueller knew who he was in Christ and did not allow anything to deter him. They were up to 100, 110 uh, orphans and, and, uh, and they didn't have any money because George Mueller never one time 
Not one time. Not one time. What is less than one? Zero. Never did George Mueller ever solicit funds from anyone. He believed God had called him and God was going to provide. One of the stories in there, and, and his life is replete with story after story after story of God's provision. But he knew he was, he was saved by grace, and he knew he was walking in faith, and, and he knew he was accomplishing the things that God had called him to do. And his faith was abundant. And one night they, they came to him and said, they said, uh, we don't have any milk for tomorrow's uh, tomorrow morning and we don't know how we're going to feed these 100 children he said well let's pray and they began to pray and while they were praying there was a knock on the door and it was a postal service they gave him a letter and inside the letter there was more than enough money to pay for the milk the next morning Another time they were, they were uh, and they had quite a, quite a few orphans and, and, and they were, didn't have any, any food for dinner so they went ahead and set the table and sat down at the table and while they were giving thanks for the food which they did not yet have there was a knock on the door and, and there were people that said I, I just felt like I needed to bring this food over. Over and over and over again, God provided because he was willing to receive the grace of God through faith and step out and do what God had called him to do. He didn't say, well, Lord, I'll build these orphanages once I get enough money. Once we have a plan of strategy, oh, I know what we need. We need a vision and mission statement. And once we get our vision statement, once we get our mission statement, boy, people are going to flock to it. They're going to give money. God then will do it. He just simply said, God, this is what you're calling to me to do. This is what I can do with what I have where I'm at. And did it, and God kept multiplying. They were, they were needing breakfast uh, one morning. They didn't have any, anything for breakfast for any of the, any of the, the, the kids. And, and, and the baker came by and said, you know, this is all yesterday's bread. I just felt like I needed to bring it over. And he says, okay, well, thank you. And, and a couple of minutes later, there was a guy knocked on the door and said, hey, uh, my milk wagon, which this is before milk trucks, milk wagon, just broke down and all this milk's going to go to waste. Can you use it? Don't you love how God works? Could it be, and this is just a random thought, could it be that your broken wagon is an opportunity to bless somebody else? Oh, never thought of your problems that way, did you? I'm sure that milkman didn't think that either. But grace is now. Look what he says. 
He's, he's quoting Isaiah, for he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. And Paul said, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We are living in the day of grace. Oh, I love that. But grace just doesn't stop with, with our personal salvation. Grace gives us the opportunity to live a victorious life in him. And you say, well, what obstacles are in their way? There's none. The coast is clear. There's nothing to stop you from being the man or woman of God that you desire to be in your heart. The only thing that hinders us, the only thing that keeps us back is the person you look at in the mirror. But Christ took everything else out of the way, and Christ will never call you to a work that he will not first prepare you for. He prepared David. He prepared uh, Joseph. He prepared Peter. He prepared Paul. He prepared every single person he ever called to serve him he per first prepared them god is preparing you so let me ask you what is in your heart what grace of god that he has called you into that you need to use that faith and step out and allow god to be god do you have a dream sometimes we call it a bucket list Oh, I'd like to do that. I'd, I'd like to be able to do that, but, whew, man, God's calling me to do this, but I just don't have any of the reserves. I don't have any of the, the, uh, the finance. I don't have any of the ability. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If you're trying to do God's work on your ability, good luck with that. Because last time I checked, we cannot save anyone. The work of God is spiritual. But he uses people. He uses you and I. He uses us as he used Noah to build an ark. First one ever. Took him a hundred years. He was a slow carpenter. I don't think carpentry was his first choice. And yet God used him to save humanity. What is God using you for? What is God preparing you for? George Mueller provided housing, food, and educational opportunities and helped over 10,000 orphans become productive in society in fact he offered so many educational opportunities for the disenfranchised to get this that the established people that the established community started raising uh, opposition because he said that he was elevating the poor above their station in life isn't that sad what? We're really not supposed to help the poor? We're not supposed to lift them up? And he did it all without a penny to his name. Never solicited donations. 
Every penny that came in was voluntary. And this is a quote from him. Be assured if you walk with him and you look to him and expect help from him, he will never fail you. Am I looking at the next George or Georgia Miller? See, these men and women throughout history have trusted in the Lord and used and were used by God because they stepped out in faith, because their marriage was on the rocks and they said, I'm trusting in the Lord. I can't see how it's going to work, but I'm going to stay close to the Lord and watch God do amazing things. See, our dependency on him and not ourselves or our bank accounts or our status in life is essential to being victorious in him. But first we must overcome one of the biggest obstacles that we have in our lives. You have it, I have it, everybody has it. It's a four-letter word. Fear. Fear of being a failure, fear of not being able to accomplish what God has called you to do, fear of looking stupid. I got over that fear a long time ago because I realized I already look stupid. And there's no way to hide it. So just live with it. Fear. I remember in, in, in the Gospels, here's, here's uh, Jesus in, in Mark 5. He sends the disciples off just said go on go to to the other side of the sea the Galilee I'm gonna stay here and pray remember the story it just fed 5,000 and they just keep in mind all 12 of them had just saw Jesus feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish that's pretty spectacular right the fish were not giant wells they were just little bitty fish and Jesus did the miraculous. So, so they get in a boat, and the, and the winds and, and the storm comes up, and they're rowing all night. And I, I believe that the Bible says it's about the third watch of the night. It's, it's around 3 a.m. or so or 2. They're, they're, Jesus comes walking on the water. Can you imagine being able to walk on water? What was Jesus doing? He was defying natural law. He was doing what could not be done. Has anybody here ever walked on water? The closest I've ever come to walking on water was when I was swimming in the ocean. Somebody said shark. I was close. But here's, here's Jesus walking on the water, and they see him, and they begin to cry out because they think he's a ghost. They think he's a... a, a, a a spirit and and Jesus says do not be afraid it is I but there's something really interesting I didn't do that uh, there's something really interesting in that in that phrase it's translated should be translated do not be afraid it is the I am we leave out the am. Jesus was saying, I'm God. And Paul and Peter's response was, 
well, Lord, if that's you, let me come walk on the water with you. Let me do what cannot be done. And Jesus said, come on, come on. So Peter jumps over the side of the boat. I don't know if he jumped or, or if he, well, he's pretty, he was pretty straightforward. I'm sure he probably just jumped. And when his feet hit the water, it hit like on dry ground. Wow, I'm standing on the top of water. How cool would that be? That Peter was doing what was un, that no one should be able to do. It goes against the laws of nature that Peter was walking on top of water. He was doing what Christ said he could do. And Christ said, you can walk on top of water. And Peter says, watch this. Here I go. Woo! And keep in mind, there's wind and there's waves. And, and I was wondering sometimes uh, when I was looking at that, and I had to go back and reread the, the story, because we know that Peter got his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink. But it wasn't the waves that got him. It was not the waves that blew his faith and allowed fear to creep in. The waves were still lapping around his ankles and around his knees, and he was walking on it. The scripture doesn't say that it was the waves. It wasn't, it wasn't that he was walking above the obstacle, the thing that he should not have been able to do, and God said, watch, I'm going to allow you to do something that humanity cannot do. It was the wind of opposition that got him. Scripture says when, G when Peter saw the wind and it was blowing against him, it was pushing him back, that's when he started fearing. He's like, wow, I'm not making the progress that I think I should. All the time he's walking on top of water the whole time he is doing what is not natural to humanity he is he is he is transforming natural law and he's walking on top of water and yet it wasn't what he was doing that got him it was the winds of opposition that was keeping him from from making the progress toward Jesus the way he thought he should can i can i share something with you you ever step out of the boat and start doing what Jesus asks you to do? And start, and start looking at what Jesus wants you to do? And you say, well, I don't have a penny to my name. I can't do this. I can't do that. God's not looking for, for what you have. He's looking for availability. He's looking for a heart that says, yeah, yeah, you can walk on top of that circumstance. You certainly can. You'll be able to accomplish that because I have called you to do it because I said you can get out of the boat and you can walk on top of any problem, any circumstance in life. It doesn't matter what it is. If you just keep your eyes on me, you will never sink. But opposition 
pushback cost him. Jesus saved him, as he will save us. But the truth is, anytime you get out of the boat, anytime you start walking on, on top of the situations that you find in your life because you're trusting in the Lord to provide, you're trusting in the Lord for healing, you're trusting in the Lord for deliverance, that, that, that habit that has had you for so many years and you say, I'm done with it, I'm out of here, and you begin to walk on top of the water and, and, even, and you're able to overcome it or, or that difficult time in your life that you're able to walk above those circumstances, whether they're, they're medical or whether they're financial or emotional, you're able to to get out of the boat because Jesus said come follow me and you're walking on top of the circumstances it's opposition that you have to look out for because the devil will always put opposition in your way because he doesn't want you walking on water he doesn't want you thinking that you're that you are a child of God he doesn't want you to think that all things are possible for you he doesn't want you to think that Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The devil doesn't want you to know who you are in Christ. He does not want you to have a victory. But I'm here to say if you'll follow the voice of the Lord. And if he is saying do it, then get out of the boat. Keep your eyes on him and don't allow the voice of discouragement to, to bring you down. Do you know where the voice of discouragement usually comes from? You ready for this? I, all right, all right. You're saying, oh, pick me, pick me. I know, I know, I know. It comes from Washington. No. We know them. And it doesn't come from Tallahassee. And it doesn't come from anywhere else other than your friends and your family. Most of the time, when God is calling somebody, I had, I had a great, great friend when I was in, in college. He and his wife, man, they just wanted to serve. They had such a tender heart. He had the most amazing tender heart I've ever seen in anybody. And, and he really wanted to serve the Lord. He had such a heart to serve the Lord. He wanted, and he, he would have made a, an amazing pastor. One of those pastors that you could go to and talk, and, and if you were crying, he'd cry with you. And if you were rejoicing, he would rejoice with you. And he had a tender heart that, that when you were talking to him, your problems were his problems. And he just loved people. And, and he decided out of college, he was just going to go and, and, and be that pastor. And there was some voices of discouragement that said, you're not good enough. Who do you think you are? Just because you have a degree doesn't mean that you're a pastor. And I went and watched my good friend go sit on the bench for the rest of his life and never got in the game. And our team, our team missed him. Because somebody else and their negative comments, he allowed them to destroy him. And he never walked on water.
What is God calling you to do? What do you want to see? And you say, well, I like to dream big. You can't dream bigger than God. The Bible says, eyes have not seen, ears heard. Neither has it entered the heart of man the things that God hath prepared. God's ways are so far above our ways. Because we think that, oh, if we're going to do something, we have to do it in the natural law. And God is saying, I'm the one that created natural law, and I'm the one that can change it and override it any time I want. After all, it's appointed unto man once to die, but I only, I only died for three days, and then I rose up. And if he can conquer death, and he can walk on water, and he can raise people from the dead, and he can open blind eyes, I believe he will secure you in what God is calling you to do. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. Would you stand with me, please? What is it that God is calling you to do? I'm so excited. Whether you're here, you're watching online, it doesn't matter. This is one thing I do know. God always wants his people to break out of the shell, break out of the barrier and allow God to be God in your life. And it doesn't matter whether you're 8 or 18 or 80. God wants to use you. God always wants to use us. You may, he may use you to do something amazing. He may use you to do something that to you is seemingly unamazing, uneventful, uninspiring. But it could be, just could be, that that one person that he's wanting you to be kind to could be the person, could be the woman, could be the man that revolutionizes Orlando and turns this area right side up for Jesus. It could be that whatever the Lord is calling you to do, you say, well, it's too small. Nothing's too small for God. You say, well, it's too big. Nothing's too big for God. God is God. Is God. Is God. The one that, that threw the stars into the sky and calls them by name, who measured the oceans in the palm of his hand. The one that, that situated the earth as it is and he spoke it into existence. Didn't create it with his hands, but spoke it into existence. Is inviting us into a relationship with him that says, if you will trust me and get out of the boat, nothing is impossible. Your salvation couldn't save yourself but how does the innocent blood of a, of a man that died 2,000 years ago wash you clean you can say well I don't really know all the details but I do know this that when I gave my life to the Lord there was a cleanness in my spirit that was unimaginable that you could not you could not duplicate any other way God is calling us into an amazing walk and journey with him will you take that walk will you take that journey as we sing this song 
Lord, I echo, I echo whatever the Lord did and he's calling us to do. Will you receive that challenge? Will you receive the, the invitation of the Lord to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, whoever you want me to be, whatever you want me to say, wherever you want me to go, I'm all in.